Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. It's Tuesday, February 21st, 2017. I'm lisping. And uh, we're talking about New York City Beer Week. It's coming up this weekend. Got some great guests in the studio. Big shout out to our sponsors, Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and lagers. So check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. If you're listening live, uh, we're talking right now with everybody. Go around the room and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Kyle from Randolph Beer. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. All right. How you doing? I'm Vincent Lima. I'm owner and sellerman at Craft House in Staten Island. How's it going? Uh, my name is Sean Torres. I'm one of the uh, co-owners and founders of Killsborough Brewing Company. Hey, Sam Richardson from Other Half Brewing Company. All right. This is a cool way to, to get ready for New York City Beer Week. We've got uh, our good buddy Sam, Other Half. You know, three years ago you guys were on when you just opened. We had a really cool show, and um, now we've got guys on Staten Island talking about opening their own uh, kind of under a restaurant brewery license, you know, old school brew pub. And uh, Kyle, you guys too at Randolph Beer, you're also talking about. Yep, we're a couple weeks away, just sweating it out, grinding it out these last couple weeks till we can get it open. So let's just get briefly what you guys are doing for beer week, because beer week's important in New York City. It, it, it's changed a lot as we have more, more and more breweries. There's more, more action going on. There's more events. Um, you know, Kyle, with Randolph, how many bars do you guys have now? Uh, we have two beer bars and a cocktail spot, and then uh, the brew pub will be our fourth location. What are you guys planning for New York City Beer Week? Uh, I've got a couple different events starting out. I'm doing a uh, beer and cheese event. I've got a Marcelli Formaggi, good old Andy Marcelli, good buddy of mine, uh, coming out with Transmitter Brewing. Um, at Randolph, we do a lot of uh, beer and food pairings, um, and so we wanted to definitely make sure that has a spot with what we're doing. So you guys are on the New York City Beer Week website event? Absolutely, definitely. That's a great place to go, right, New York City Beer Week for website. And you guys in Staten Island, what, what events do you guys have for New York City Beer Week? So we're doing our second annual, we do Barrel Age Beer Week every New York City Beer Week, and we take down all our taps, nice. and we... Uh, do all barreled aged beers. It's a little dangerous, but it's fun. Uh, and this is the second year. Last year was a great success. We I mean, know other half is doing stuff. You guys have any special events coming up? Uh, <laughs> I, I hate to admit it, but I actually am not sure. I have to I have to look. I've been trying to figure out. We have somebody that plans that stuff, and I'm actually I'm going to be in Japan next week, so I'm not going to actually make it to any events, unfortunately. That's right. I know other half is going to be at opening the opening bash. They're going to be at the New York City Brewers Choice, and of course, people will be lining up. That other half, uh, the tasting room out in Gowanus. So let's go back, like, you know, three years ago. You know, first, Sean, you know, I, I know you. You're a home brewer on Staten Island. You know, this is a big part of New York City beer scene. And now you've stepped it up. You're, gonna, you're, you're waiting for what? Your federal? Yeah, we're actually waiting for our federal and state licensing. Um, we're hoping to get both of those by the summertime. So. And do you think that with the change in the federal administration, you think that's going to impact the issuance of federal licenses? We hope. We hope not. Right? <laughs> um, no, that's that's to be determined. But um, you know, I think that's a scoop we just crossed, broke. So. No one, yeah. no one thinks about that. But it's like you know what, guys? Yeah, if someone could look that up and let us know, please, because you know we're we're anticipating the summer. Yeah. 
And then, and Kyle, you guys also should open a brew pub as well. Yeah, you know, we've just got a little bit of construction left to go, some finishing touches. You know, hopefully start doing some soft opening friends and family at the end of March. You know, we've got a couple of the breweries have already offered to kind of come in and help us out, throw some stuff on draft while we're uh, starting to brew. But we're, we're almost there. We're, I can see the finish line. That's great. And, and Sam, it's nice. I mean, three years ago, you guys had just opened up. Um, we had a show with, with you and Matt, and uh, we were talking about beer styles. You know, we've come a long way. We were talking about what's the difference between Black IPA and Cascadian Dark. You know, how has it changed for you guys three years in now? I mean, you're brewing a lot. You're expanding. Um, give us, like, you know, tell us what you're up to. I mean, well, definitely the biggest change has been how how much busier we are. Um, and, and since that moment where there was just the two of us, we're now up to 26 people. So just the whole business has changed completely. Like, we were, we're now – we were just managing ourselves and our time, and now we have to um, – you know, manage people, which is, I mean, it's just a complete, complete change from anything I ever did before. I mean, I've been brewing for 15 years this summer and almost, you know, none of it involved 26 people. I think it mostly ever, I ever managed for those four people. So it's been, it's been that. And then also just kind of watching the evolution of beer in the Northeast. It's been pretty dramatic the last two to three years, the change. Yeah. Cheers to that. Absolutely. I mean, was it your plan to ramp up like that from the beginning? I mean, it wasn't our plan to not ramp up, um, but I mean, I, I don't think you can really, I don't think we were able to really make a, have a, have a solid guess as to what was going to happen. And we opened, when we opened, it's a different time. There's less breweries in New York. In fact, we were the first brewery to open in Brooklyn in nine years. Um, and I still don't think we're, we're not really that big of a brewery still. We're, we did 8,000 barrels last year which is not insignificant, but by standards of craft brewing today, that's a, not a, that's not a big brewery. Um, so I would say that we've exceeded our expectations of what we thought we were going to do, but I don't think that it's, uh, you know, a crazy number. So, and Sam, actually, I would say, you know, you guys and some of the guys that opened up at the same time were actually a reason I actually stayed in New York city I had just gotten my certified Cicerone uh, accreditation, and I was kind of looking around. I, I was about to take the job at Randolph, but I was looking at my wife going, I don't know if there's really enough here yet in New York City to kind of keep me and keep me fulfilled. And then you guys pop up, Transmitter, Gun Hill, and all of a sudden I, I look around and go, now, now there's actually a lot of fun stuff to do. There's a lot of breweries to work with, bring stuff in, and really build what I thought was a great beer program. Because I mean, you know, outside of a couple bars and you know a couple breweries, that was about it. There wasn't a whole whole lot. Yeah, I mean, now now we actually have a beer community, which is something yeah. that not not to you know take away from the breweries that were here before, but there was only four of them, so that's not really like a exactly. strong community. And now we have a much stronger community. I mean, I actually. I was, we were just at, we were just pouring at Wakefest in Miami, which is a festival run by Jay Wakefield Brewing. And there was uh, four breweries down there representing, which is, you know, in the past, I think that it would have been a pretty, I, don't, I, I would have guessed nobody would be there because um, it's just, there was no breweries here. Uh, but now I, we go on these, we go to these festivals and we see colleagues from the city and it's, it's awesome. I mean, I think we have a really solid scene and there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of good vibes between breweries here people really get along and i think do their best to support each other even though everybody's super busy you know sean i first met you from staten island you're organizing homebrew events well what was what's the homebrew group you that you were part of uh, so I, I founded uh, Poor Standards out in staten island uh in 2012 we actually just celebrated our fifth year uh this month 
And um, one of the events that we throw every year is Brew for Autism. Um, <clears throat> all proceeds go to Autism Speaks, and um, it's been very successful. Uh, it's our fourth year. We anticipate at least 350 people there, wow. including, well, not including volunteers, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, usually we wait until the week before the event before we start freaking out on ticket sales. Uh, but we're almost sold out, and it's about three months away, April 22nd. So, uh, so yeah, so we're, we're excited about that. And, uh, you know, the homebrew community is actually a lot of the reason why um, we looked to start a brewery on Staten Island. Um, because, you know, I feel like a lot of the breweries opening up in New York City now are by previous homebrewers right as a hobby and as a as you know something that they did for as a passion so um you know we look forward to it we we hope a lot of people um listening can come by if if, if they live in new york city and you never know the guys that pouring your homebrew may be owning a, a brewery in new york city soon and what are some of the top places on staten island to get beer you got flagship brewery which is good yep they're actually our neighbors to the brewery they're about a block away oh and, perfect um, yeah nice it's, little it's, beer crawl for yeah, you there that's, it. Yeah. that's that's one thing we're looking oh forward to when we open and uh actually at craft house is definitely uh one of the hot spots right now in addition to adobe blues um and uh and Kill Myers on the South Shore. So there are a few spots. So I, sh- I can take the Staten Island Ferry and uh, yeah, we are walking pretty distance close from the it, Staten right? Island Ferry. So we try to encourage everybody to take the take the boat over. It's the only 24-hour bar in New York City because uh, you can buy beer on the on the ferry and drink there. And uh, yeah, definitely stop by. So at the that's great. House. We got all five bars, guys, and cheers to that. So um, I want to talk about nuts and bolts. We've, the last couple episodes we've been talking about bars and breweries and you know what they actually have to do in service and sales and day to day. And I think that's a good lead up to beer week. So you guys, let's go around the room and talk about you know nuts and bolts. Like Sam, one thing I was always fascinated by was when you guys started. You know, Matt was out there doing self distribution. I know that uh, Justin went out and did a story about it. and We rode around one day with it um you know you guys are committed to self-distribution i love it as as a bar um what are some of the nuts and bolts that that you have to deal with you know as a brewer and and dealing with self-distribution i mean it's just more employees for us and i think that's a good thing i like having our own employees that can talk about our beer when they drop it off and i think that we try to have we try to have, and I think we've been lucky to have employees that work in that position that are smart. I mean, they're probably smart, smarter than they should be for doing delivery, but they love being part of a brewery. And I think that they can really talk to people when they're dropping beer off. And, you know, they're generally polite individuals that just want to do a good job. And so that represents for us really well for our country, for our company. And then, um, but but yeah, for us, I mean, that's really the only thing. We have a little back-end logistics of keep storing the beer in-house all the time. We're not sending it out to a distributor. Um, but, you know, I think it's great for our business to keep it in-house. And I imagine it's good to be able to kind of control a little bit about who's getting your product. Not that you need to be choosy about the bars and restaurants, but you can kind of make sure that, oh, you know what? These guys represent our brand really well. I like having, you know, my beer in their bar or their restaurant because, you know, the people behind the bar and the servers are talking well about the beer. Right. It also, I mean, the biggest thing, obviously, is the more we're able to communicate with the bar or with the bar staff, the more likely they are to represent what we're doing better. And, you know, when you're when you're nice to when you're nice to people that work at bars, they're usually going to be nice to you in return. So it's just it's it's an important relationship. And again, not that not that a distributor, not that somebody working for a distributor is going to do do you wrong, but and a lot of them do a really great job. Um, but 
it's better to have your own staff be yeah, absolutely. in people's faces. So, Sam, what beer are we drinking right now? Sean, you pour that for us. Uh, right now we're drinking Double Dry Hop Broccoli. It's an Imperial IPA. How do you name your beers? Uh, <laughs> I love them. Broccoli through people, but I, I still loved it. Come on, let me have another one, Sean. Come I'm on. staring at the can wondering yeah. the same exact thing. Where does well, it come we're, from? We're out of the broccoli, so. Just another one. That's a, that's that's a hard one to answer. I mean, every every name comes from a different place, but get all green everything, and then and then in your sessions, I might want to talk. We were, we all want to talk about your beers because you've really come out just blowing people away. You had forever ever, and then you had forever green, which was like this perky version. And my other new favorite, you know, you know, we've talked a lot about your IPAs and Imperial IPAs, but the new Crush It, the Crush It Motueka. That, you know, I wasn't a fan of session beers, but now this year a lot of guys are, are making more sessionable beers. And that one was my go-to. First time I had, like, was it 4.5 or something, that I wanted that more than an IPA. I mean, that's a great beer. So Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think if you ask any brewer what they want is is a sessionable beer, especially, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had a brewer say to me, oh, I just really like I have a Pilsner right now. But that is not really what sells. And... um we're trying our best to make a diversity of styles, but it's it's hard because we also have employees that we're dedicated to keeping. So we're trying to sell beer, and right now, really, double IPA is king, um, especially yes. in, in our world. Absolutely. Um, and I think that we will continue to try to make beers like that, but it's just, it's it's more, it's fewer and far between just because of, you know, our our needs. And there should be another half love fest. So cheers to that. <laughs> but what do you guys have down at the crowd? Uh, so I'd, I'd like to add back to the distribution. Um, I guess a perspective that probably nobody sees in the city is that for me, when we opened on Staten Island, it was a struggle to even put a tap list together because nobody distributes to Staten Island. So in the beginning, it was just me driving all over the city to every brewery, picking up kegs in my car, coming back and tapping them. That's some dedication. And that's the only way we were able to stand out and really build the scene that we built um, down there. And, you know, even to this day, like, you know, you guys don't distribute. I deal with Joe. I come, you know, Joe sets up everything for me. I come pick it up. and Joe's great. You know, Joe Hara. Yeah, Joe Hara. And now that, um, you know, we grew, obviously I have people I send out there sometimes for the most part, even though sometimes we take the trip ourselves. But it's a whole nother perspective because... I mean, nobody's coming to drop off a keg in Staten Island, you know, besides the major distributors, which we barely deal with. We do deal with Union uh, a whole lot, uh, but it's it became more of a local beer scene, you know, as even three years ago when we opened, it was nowhere near as local as it is today. I mean, we were bringing in, you know, West Coast and all types of beers from all over the country, where now people are more interested in what's local. What are these local breweries? Three's other half, um, you know, we could go on for days, but... That's the scene now. So it's it, it, for us, we still have to cross that bridge twice a week, go pick up kegs, bring them back, and pour it, which I think that's a, a, a problem that not many bars in the city have. <clears throat> yeah, and we actually have two KCBC kegs in my car right now to drop off. <laughs> We're going to return them right after. That's what I was going to say. So what's your route? I want to know about your route. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's usually determined the day of. We're like, oh, let's, let's drop off at you know, the, these particular breweries and see what they have. And, and I, I usually set everything up through email. From my bed in the morning when I wake up, <laughs> and uh, and then you know they hold them for me. Luckily, I've built some relationships, so they'll hold them for me. They know what I have to deal with to come out and get them, 
and we just come pick them up, and then we drop off the empties when we're picking up more kegs. Dude, cheers to you guys. Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, El Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. Everybody, hey, hey, hey. hey yeah, All man. right, Beer Good Sessions time. Radio. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Check it out. You can be a member. And guess what else, kids? Next week is New York City Brewer's Choice. Pretty much everyone in this room will be there and uh, the best brewers in the Northeast. But I think if you're a listener on Heritage Radio Network, we're giving away a couple pairs of tickets. There's going to be some things posted. So keep following at Heritage underscore Radio on like Twitter and Instagram. They're going to do some giveaways this weekend for New York City Brewers Choice. Dot com that does support Harry's Radio Network. So, guys, we're having a good time talking. Vinny, so you guys are loading up, driving, picking up kegs, and bringing back empties. And Unfortunately, that is the situation. Passion, the Passion yeah. Project. It's, it's an excuse to come out to Brooklyn for me, so I don't mind it. I see, I've been lucky in Manhattan. We always, since day one, I remember when Other Half opened, they came out and did a kickoff party. And I'm, I'm still, I love the self-distribution thing. I love that Other Half still self-distributes. That's how I got to know so many breweries. Um, Kyle, what, what about you guys? What, what do you? Th- I know you got a question brewing. Well, it's it's funny because Sam was talking about you know the double IPA models. You know, really kind of what's driving behind them. And actually, at Randolph, um, as we're developing what we're going to be brewing, we're kind of going in the opposite direction. But it, it it kind of brings in the food aspect. You know, we have the added bonus of having a restaurant right there, and we're going to be a brew pub. So. You know, as I'm talking with our brewer, figuring out exactly what I'm gonna be brewing, we're we're kind of gearing a lot more towards the session stuff, because I feel that um, a lot of session beers lend a little bit better towards the food pairing aspect of it. Not the double IBAs can't work well. I mean, I think a double IPA with our burger because it's big and juicy and needs that heft of a double IPA that works. But you know, for the most part, if you're having a salad, double IPA is gonna kill the salad and you're not gonna be able to taste it. So. When we're lo- looking at our menu, looking at the beers, we want to make sure that the beers that we're brewing actually go towards the menu and kind of work with that. So it's funny that kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum here, I'm looking at session stuff and you're looking at double IPAs. And But it's the beauty of the world is we can both you know, work in that. We both have our thing. And that's why people go to other half one day, come to Randolph the next, go down to Staten Island the day after that. It works. Exactly. Sam, you want to say hi to somebody? Uh, I'm just going to say hi to my daughter, Lucy, who's listening right now. How old is she? Three and a half. What's up, Lucy? Hey, Lucy. How are you? You know, I, I've known you for so long. I mean, we met you, you, you know, we know your backstory from Civic Northwest. You worked at Greenpoint Beer Works and Kelso and all that. And um, really proud of what you guys have been doing. You know, for me, it was Thank like you. the journey of 10 years of talking about what people drink. 
you know, I remember it was everyone wanted, oh, you couldn't get Russian River. Why can't we get it? And I was like, oh, you can't get, you know, Alchemist Heady Topper. But now the last few years when people ask me that, I say, you know what? We have our beers now. And I really think other half with your IPAs paved the way. And I feel like I'm not missing out on good IPAs anymore. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Same way. Uh, I mean, we've... I wouldn't say that we set we didn't set out to do this. It's kind of just happened organically. Um, we always wanted to make IPA because it was something that didn't really exist in in New York in great quantity. We were all getting IPA from the rest of the country until three years ago, and I think that you know we were we it was just our motivation was to make that. I, I wouldn't I wasn't necessarily looking to put it in cans or even do only IPA and. I say only IPA, it's still, I mean, it's like 90% of what we do easily. Um, but, you know, we just wanted to make draft beer for the city, and then all of a sudden, this the whole can thing exploded. And we, you know, I don't know how many people know this that are not in the city, but we didn't start canning until a year after we were open. It wasn't part of our business model. And I don't think, and I think you'll you see now more and more breweries are opening with that part of their initial model is to sell cans out the door. And... Or doing everything they can to then start canning now themselves because they see the, the validity of that. Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, we just I, – I came up working, like like Jimmy said, at Greenpoint Beer Works, and that was mostly a draft um, draft company at that point. Like all the beer we were doing was draft. And I just saw an opportunity to get into the brewing scene in New York City cheaply because buying a canning line – Depalletizers, all the equipment you need for canning is is you know a little cost prohibitive if you're not flush with money when you're trying to start a brewery. So we just wanted to stick with the with the model we knew, and and then we we got lucky. Ironheart came into the scene doing mobile canning, um, and they had just started working with Carton right around the time we opened, or and and we got the opportunity to go down and kind of watch some runs and see how they were operating and. That really, I think that's opened the door for a lot of breweries in the Northeast that would have been under the radar before to get their beer out to a wider audience, either through distribution or just, I say, our like our model, which is we have customer distribution because people come in and buy the cans and they're trading it with their friends around the country. So we're kind of getting free distribution that way. And also people are getting to try beers from around the country they wouldn't have been able to try before through, through this trading mechanism and you know f- but we never we never imagined any of this when we started and I think that's that's actually the biggest thing when I was saying earlier the change in the brewing industry in the last three years in the northeast is is this idea of buying beer directly from the brewery trading it um, and everybody wants to get on it it's not just the east coast right now it's there's a huge explosion on the west coast i mean i think every i think people that are really insiders to the business know that it's really all driven around what is now considered like new england style ipa and it's been it's been amazing to watch it's just a and sam are you guys going to try and do your own canning soon uh, we actually have a canning line in our building as of friday um, we have a little bit of we have a little bit of work to do to get set up. We've been in the middle of an expansion for a while. Um, it's been extremely painful, but we're as any expansion or construction Wait, goes. David, I think that's called the uh, the rise of the industrial revolution in New York City beer. Yeah, yeah. cheers to that, kids. Good one. And then you guys, Vinny. Um, you know, you guys yeah. again, pioneers out there. 
driving to pick up kegs because no one's distributed to Staten Island. What, what are some of the other half that, that you would drive for? Well, we right now on tap we have the Simcoe Galaxy um, that's pouring right now. Um, you know, I like to get their empties back to them as quickly as possible. Thank <laughs> so you. So we never. I'm not bringing a keg back unless I'm taking one with me. So. That's kind of our exchange with Joe, and uh, that keeps other half like an the original East India Pale Ale guy. Yeah, exactly. Should, you should have boats, man, <laughs> right? <laughs> Up and down the Hudson. Yeah. That's great. Can I, can I also say we're not discriminating against Staten Island. We also don't go to the Bronx. It's more of a— I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. not worth it financially. It's me and Adobe. You know, like— Yeah, it's, it's, it's just hard. Yeah. I and understand. don't sleep on the uh, you know the outside the other half IPAs like all the stouts and stuff like I just brought in the uh, Inabsentia Luchi with the cocoa nibs and hazelnuts yeah, I mean that, that beer nice. yeah. I had that beer and I was like I have to put that on my reserve bottle list like that is something I need in, in the cellar there Sean keep pouring beers and then and yeah, ask, wow. ask Sam about there. that every time you pour one I want to yeah, hear sure. which one's that now uh, looks like right now he's pouring Mylar bags um, which. Obviously, if you work in a brewery, you know a Mylar bag is it's a reference to hops. If you don't, now you knew, though. <laughs> but uh, but that's 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 really what it is, is we just pour so many hops into these beers that just thought it was a, an homage to the packaging. It's a good one. You know what's cool about this show? First, New York City Beer Week's coming up. The other part is we're, at, we're drinking good beer. <laughs> but the other thing is, like, you know, Sam... You guys are doing cool shit. I know you, like some of your staff now. Is uh, Peter Salmon still working for you guys? Oh, yeah. He's our head brewer now. So Peter Salmon, what, a year ago won Homebrew of the Year at the American Homebrew Conference or something. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, P- Peter and I have worked together for about four years. He worked, We worked together at Greenpoint Beer Works together. He was kind of my my right-hand man there when I was the head brewer there. And um, he, he actually took over. He was the head brewer there for a little while. And then he was at Brooklyn. Uh, but I just wanted to have him back in the fold because he's uh, he's a very talented brewer and a really nice human being. So it was good to get him back. And I'm sorry sorry to Brooklyn for that, but it was hey, that's what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's business. And then for, for like you've got a great team out there, a lot of great people like Peter um, for, for for collaborations. I mean, you know, I. One one collaboration so that was the Indian Ladder. Uh, it was a stout you did with them. I think we first buying their grain a few years ago. Yeah, uh, I mean for the most part we don't do a whole lot of New York State because it's it's hard to keep it's hard to organize it. There's not a lot of grain available. It's from a lot of different sources, but we have done it before. We did a we did a stout with them that was all all hops and malt from their farm um, base malt. We had to get our roasted malts and caramel malts from other sources but they, they couldn't make that happen but it was you know the majority of the beer was was their ingredients and those that's i mean that kind of stuff is always really fun and then at you know at other half your brews like the recipes and things is is it teamwork is it is it one one guy has one recipe one has another are you overseeing every batch of beer at this point the recipes are all mine i've i i have put it out there for everybody to contribute if they want um so far, it's just been me, but uh, I'll hopefully people want. want. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Sam, what what about like those local ingredients? You know, New York hops and malts are kind of like still growing and still kind of moving, especially with you know the government kind of trying to put some push behind it. What do you feel is like you know what are our strong points as far as New York State ingredients and where we're headed? Good question, Kyle. Uh, well, that's a that's a tough one because I think that I, I still think that. Uh, 
probably the strong point is enthusiasm at this point because it's still really tough. Um, if you're if you're a grower here, processing your processing your barley or processing your hops is still hard. I mean, it's like a it's a big handicap. There's a lot of people that are trying to really step their game up, um, which is great. Uh, but the one the one problem I see is that right now it's a very the industry is really focused on some certain hop varieties which are not being grown here mostly because the hop varieties that are really popular are proprietary and and really the 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 trademark holders are controlling who's growing it because they want to make sure that there's grown to a certain standard and new york's industry is so early on that they can't really do it on the the plus side for hops though is that when you grow certain varieties here that you know, like if you grow a Cascade here or a Centennial, yeah, they have here. a different. They do have a different flavor, mm-hmm. um, and so that's kind of cool. But it's it's hard to get people to yeah, understand yeah, I, what's going on. You know what, what's what's what I love about a lot of the uh, <clears throat> a lot of the beers that you guys brew is is um, that you label some of your single hop IPAs with the actual hop because again, they're they're these sort of buzz hops, right? Like Simcoe or Mosaic, uh, Motueka. That I feel, you know, never mind brewers or home brewers, but even you know, craft beer drinkers are really uh, uh, attuned to and, and accustomed to drinking. And those are the beers that they want to see those hops in. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, we've seen the success of it. And, and I think it's excellent that you, know, you, you guys have been able to, to model a lot of your beers around that. Well, it's, it's interesting on the, you know, we talk about the local stuff because with our food at the restaurant, right, we, we, we call it mindfully sourced. Like we can't necessarily do all local products for our, you know, our meats and our produce and stuff. We, we try and do what we can, but now trying to add the beer aspect to it, you know, can we actually bring in local malt, local hop, you know, Hudson Valley malt, Indian ladder, and then, you know, the hop farms, we would love to, but is that feasible? Is it, you know, are that, are those products going to be more expensive, cheaper? Are they better, less, you know, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm just now starting to really investigate and see and, and try out. Definitely more expensive from what yeah. I've seen yeah. so far. And that's, well, I mean, when you can only produce so much, yeah, like, you know, that's okay. I don't actually think that's a problem. I just think that, you know, it's, yeah. Different tasks to handle. Yeah, exactly. Let I mean, me do. I'm gonna run through my. This is kind of it's kind of the other half love show because it's true. Okay, let's go. To some of my favorite other half beers. You guys can join in too. First, I'm gonna say when you guys first started out, Hop Showers, the Hop Showers IPA. I had two kegs a week. Jimmy's number forty three. I couldn't stop drinking it. Tell us about that beer. I feel like that put you guys on the map. Yeah, that was actually the first beer that we brewed at our brewery, and it was. Um, we actually brewed it. I, I think I mashed it in at, at like ten o'clock at night <laughs> because we had just gotten our gas turned on that day and wasted no time. We yeah, we were so. I mean, it, the process of getting open was so arduous, dealing with the Department of Buildings and even now, even the second expansion. But it was really it was arduous, and we just wanted to get going. So we brewed that beer right away, and that's always been brewed with uh, Tanum and Citra and Amarillo, and it's just. For me, it's kind of, I mean, I think it's an iconic other half beer. I mean, it's something that, I don't think it's our most popular beer, but it has a, it does have an um, enduring following, you know. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're all going to talk about our favorite other half beers on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. 
Welcome back to Beer Assassins Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys. So we're talking about the other half uh, greatest hits here. Um, I mentioned the hop shower. So who wants to ask about another of I your mean, favorite other half beers? The one thing is other half IPA kind of gets overlooked because of all these consistent releases. I've had other half IPA on consistently at Randolph Beer for probably the better part of two, two and a half years or so. I mean, to me... Like, I, the way I like to drink beer, I, you know, I started drinking beer when I was in England. I like something I can have time and time again. Now, the alcohol percentage is a little high, but it's a beer that doesn't overwhelm my palate, but still, you know, packs some flavor. I can have a couple uh, pints of that and still keep going. And and that's why it's like it, it is one of the only beers that I keep on consistent because it it's one of my favorites. I was going to say the same exact beer. I know there's all the other ones everyone goes crazy about, but other half IPA, it's one of my favorites. I beers. thought they were all IPAs. Yeah. Now, I, now I know you guys work in the industry because that's, that's only only people that work in the business would say that's their favorite beer. And I, I for us, it's something that we really love. It's definitely become less popular because of um, some of the other varieties and also... I think just West Coast IPA has become less popular. Right. So what and, what is other half IPA? The base is that a West Coast IPA? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for one, it's usually pretty clear. It's a lot of it's a lot of sea hops, a lot of Chinook and Cascade and Centennial. It's got some Simcoe in it as well, but you know, it's it's got more bitterness. It's got a little bit more malt character to it, and. To me, it's to me it's a really balanced beer for having with food. That's why I like a lot of it's exactly a, a lot of uh, yeah a lot of restaurants have it as their IPA. I mean, with with tacos and stuff like that, you yeah. don't want a huge amount of bitterness, right? Because it's going to overpower. But you have that nice tropical character, bring out some of the lime juice and stuff. You know, we have a shrimp tacos, and so that lime juice, and then you get the citrus character of the IPA on top. It's perfect. One thing I want to say, other half like for Sam, you're talking to us. It's like I mean, we've got pretty much beer bar operators here and we really probably live on draft but so much so many of the writers and also a lot of consumers are, are doing the can thing so how is your draft program different from your cans well i mean at this point at this point we put yeah i mean we probably put 60 percent of what we make into cans um the majority of the draft we do is ipa and forever ever which is our session ipa and I mean, I'm waiting for other half IPA to come back in cans. Yeah, you don't have to wait too long. All um, right, good. But good. still, what I'm saying is that, yeah, like for us, our experience is, and we talk about this a lot, there's great beer bars and you go there for the draft. But a lot of people, including a lot of the writers, are getting their cans shipped to them. And I feel like we have two different ways of experiencing your beers. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, just right off the bat, though, we don't even some some beers that we can don't really go to draft anymore. It's just we, we don't have enough capacity. So if you're if you're I don't know I, I don't know how different it is. We if we send beer to somebody, it's usually overnighted. So I don't think they're getting a whole lot of different experience. Most of the draft beer is delivered day of and tapped within a within a week. I think for in most places in the city. So I don't I don't know that it's that significantly different of an experience. But uh, let's recap. Other than what the Sam, it's funny. When one of God, the- hold on, Sean. What was the, the last large bottle so, you poured so for the, us? The large bottle we poured uh, was so the iconic. On Untap, we're posting Untapped all the beers yeah, that we taste. Uh, iconic high rise. That was actually 
Yeah, from Long Island City. Long yeah. Island City's got a nice little hub of breweries going on right now. And the uh, the beer that I just poured right now, the Growler, is our um, strawberry Berliner Weiss. So, oh yeah, Which, the strawberry guava, right? Yeah, so yeah, right now you guys are no. This is actually our um, oh so you yeah. Get... So this is one of our pilot batches. Oh, yeah, 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 coming. Nice. So and then this hopefully will, this summer you guys nice. will be licensed nice. right yeah. on Staten Island. So it's it's yeah, we're we're, we're very proud of this. Yeah, beer. So. I wanted to ask. I'm always interested in this can versus because definitely the last couple of years the cans have been a phenomenon. We just did a show the other day with Josh Bernstein at the Can Jam. Um, but again, for me as a as a beer bar owner, I buy buy your drafts, and that's how I taste the beer. And I, I wonder, you know, I just so I want to talk about the ones I like. I liked, I love the new Forever Green, which which was tell us about Forever Green because you had Forever Ever, then you had Forever Green. Uh, yeah, Forever Green. I mean that name. So it's a very I, I call it a very green beer. It's like very. It's also it's, it's like a hybrid West Coast. New England style beer. It's got a lot of. Uh, it's it's as juicy as it can be for a beer made with Columbus, Chinook, and Cascade. It's got a lot of dankness to it, but it's you know sometimes we like to make beers with hops that are not super popular anymore, just because I, we still love them. I know that I th- I think if you ask anybody that works in this business as a brewer, the last thing they want to do is stop using a variety of hops. You know, but we get we get a little pigeonhole. People really want the Citra, Galaxy, Mosaic, and I understand that those are amazing hops. But you know, most most people that get into beer this deep really just love like they crave and love the variety of, of options they have at their fingertips. Um, and I, I I do hope breweries don't stop making that beer just because the demand is so high for some of these so more. So what hops are in, hops. For, in Forever Green? Forever, it's Columbus, uh, Columbus, Chinook, and Cascade. Well, they're classics for a reason, right? You know, you, you, I still find myself, you know, wherever I'm going to a, a brewery or a bar, and I'll have some of these crazy, you know, some of the New Zealand stuff or the crazy American hops that are coming out, and I still find myself gravitating back towards, say, other half IPA. And it's because there's just something about that beer that it's just, it's well-rounded, it's balanced, you know, it, it, it's, yes, like, it's great to have that one pint of that other, you know, crazy yeah. experimental stuff. But then I go back to the, no, that's the good. classic. But what I meant to say is more like because I taste so many of your beers on draft, the way it popped, because you had Forever Ever, which I like, then Forever Green pop. So how are those hops, like, you know, outdated? Because no, no, that well, was like a super fresh beer in terms yeah, of yeah. flavors, you know? I just think that I guess the way of saying when you're saying it's outdated is right now people like bigger fruitier softer character and that has a more dank resinous character to it and don't get me wrong i'm not saying nobody likes that style anymore people do but we the majority of the beer we sell the the majority of beer we sell the people that are much more specific in their tastes i mean we sell 60 percent of our beer out the front door in cans to people that are waiting in line. People don't wait in line unless they have something that they're, they're coming for. Like I don't, I mean, right now people are coming for big fruity, soft IPA. Are they buying by hop name? Is that, is that what draws people? I, or is it yes and no? I mean, I think people definitely, they know when they know when hops, people have educated themselves enough to know which hops they like. Um, we still create beers all the time that have maybe slightly less sexy hops. I mean, you take like double dry hop broccoli, which I feel is a pretty popular beer at this point. Um, 
you know, it has Mosaic and Simcoe in it, but it also has Hallertau Blanc and Cascade in it, which, you know, Cascade's not very sexy at this point. Most people are kind of on the fence about how sexy Hallertau Blanc is. And I, I, in some ways, I'd say Simcoe almost falls into that category, too. So, but yet, we tried to make a beer out of that that people would still appreciate. So I feel like we're always trying to make beers that have things in it that people are less excited about to remind them that yes, those hops can, can be good. They can be a good contribution to a beer. And then the, 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 the Crush It series, so the Crush It Motueka, how, how did that come about? Because you had Forever series, you have your double IPAs. We, we just wanted to make a series of beers that were sessionable, uh, that kind of covered the hop spectrum, and we've done it with a bunch of different varieties. Mostly we stuck with some of the more popular ones, like Mosaic we've done, uh, Motueka, We've done Waiiti, which is a New Zealand hop, um, which I don't think anybody really knows about yet. But uh, you know, we, we we just keep doing it with different hops, and the and the goal is just to kind of see what each one is like. And that's actually the most stripped down when it's so low ABV, and there's not like it's all it's all hop character. So the Crush It Montueka, that was a beer that I couldn't stop drinking. Me too. It's supposed to be, right, guys? Yeah, Vinny. Yeah, yeah. Now, you and me, Vinny, we're on the same page. And the ABV uh, well, was, like, in the perfect range. And I, I was, I was two years ago, I was ranting against Session IPAs. I didn't like, I felt like they, they were stripped down and too, too citrusy, the mainstream ones. And I love where, where you guys were going. Vinny, you I, guys got to, it's all time questions for Sam now. Questions, not statements. Questions only. Come based on, you know, he's telling you the brewer side, but from a boss side, see, Sean's just coming in now with the brewery, and he's starting to see the business side of what I'm doing. And... I, you know, I tried to explain it, but now he sees it that it's more of a hype thing. And I could have great beers on tap, unbelievable beers that just they don't sell as quick as some of the beers that have hype behind it. And some of the beers that have hype behind it might not be as good as some of the beers that I have on that maybe don't have hype, but they're 100%. really good beers. And it's funny watching this game of what people are drawn to because, I, I mean, I know what's the best beer on tap. But that beer is not necessarily the fastest selling beer. And I find that it's a very young crowd. I get these kids, you know, they're 21 to 25, and they're the ones waiting online at the other half. And they come in for a specific beer. They're checking my beer menus, and they come in with the phone in their hand, and they're like, You got this beer? And, and what's the question? Excuse me? What's the question? What do you mean the question? Oh, for you got to ask a question oh, for Sam. I'm sorry. I mean, I That's was okay. Just giving the side from I love the, it. Don't of, worry. of the boss side, you know? But what's your question for Sam? You got to ask him a question. Come on, um, we got—we haven't had him here for a while. So, my question for Sam. Hmm. Sean has one. I know as a home brewer. Um, I mean, you know, it's—he it, answered a lot of my concerns in regards to handling growth and um, <clears throat> and and uh, you know, it, it definitely adjusting the 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 having to brew um, for your customers and consumer rather than. Kind of, because I mean, we we have this conversation a lot in Killsborough um, with a few of the other partners, like Patrick Wade and Phil Gardner. Um, you know, in regards to um, the beers that we want to brew versus the beers that are going to sell. Like, did you find that to be a, a tough adjustment? And you know, That's I mean, it's question. three years yeah. later, so yes, yes, and no. I mean, we don't ever make anything we don't want to make. We just make more of things. We end up making more of things that sell well right so no, nothing we make right now is something i wouldn't want to make but you we do probably have the thumb we, on the pulse we probably. probably make more of it than we would if it wasn't going the way it was if people were not interested 
I would probably be making an, e- an ESB or something else that I like drinking. But and, and hopefully as we have the ability to have more capacity, we'll be able to add some more of those beers back in because people do like those beers. It's just not in the same volume as what we're making. Yeah, and, you know, it's Sam, important to stay in business. When, when you first started, what were the first four beers that you guys made? And they were different styles, weren't they? Uh, no. No? Nope. No, what uh, were they? Well, so, yeah, the first four beers we made were IPA, um, Hop Showers, Green Diamonds, and All Green, everything. So, so it was IPAs. all, it was, yeah, it was four IPAs. Um, it, though, one of my favorite beers that I've ever had from Other Half was a wheat barley wine that you guys did. Oh, yeah, we have a wheat wine that we that we make occasionally. Yeah, I mean, and, we, that, and that's the thing, like, as as somebody that's a little bit more tuned with brewing beer, I know to go to the tap room because I know those beers are going to pop up every once in a while in the tap room versus finding it, you know, what's distributed, you know, and, and more widely available. Well, Sam, here's a question for you. How are you guys dealing with, you know, this can revolution, the lines out the block? You know, you do a Saturday release, you post it on Instagram, social media and stuff. Next thing you know, there's a three-hour wait in line. You guys are expanding right now, and obviously there's probably some of that conversation happening. Um, you know, how are you guys looking to deal with that? Uh, I mean, our, go- our goal is to grow the business to the point where we don't have to deal with the lines. I mean, it's not that – I don't have a problem with the lines, and I'm trying to, you know, give that Do impression. Do neighbors have a problem with the lines? They, they actually don't. We have, our, oh, we have three houses on our block, and those people are saints. They have never, ever complained. But um, I think the way the way we look at it, we want people to feel like they can come down and get the beer they want without always having to wait in line. And we've always been forced to sell beer on Saturdays because we have space constraints. We actually have to use our space to make beer during the week. And you know, a lot of people complain, "Oh, don't, why do you only do it Saturdays?" And I, I understand it's painful to if you don't want to wait in line. Um, and I think that a lot of locals don't come buy our beer specifically because of that. But we've hopefully with our new canning line, we'll be able to can more often and we'll be able to get people in the space during the weekdays and we'll have more weekday releases of beer and it'll help alleviate that. But we also have a new tap room. So we're basically having we're just going to have more space, whereas we've always been constrained by a lack of space. A little bit more of everything. My, my question for you is your barrel aging program. Are you expanding that at the because I know you don't really distribute any of the barrel aged stuff. Obviously. And you guys are doing a barrel barrel week next week. Barrel aged beer week starting next week. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love your barrel aged stuff. I was wondering if you're ever going to start distributing it or what's the plan for that? We shall see. It's kind of, it's, you know, I mean, it's with that, it's not... Nice teaser. Well, it's not, I'm not trying to be coy about it. I just don't know yet. Yeah. I mean, again, these are all these things that as we, as the business continues to grow and change, we don't know what's, what's going to happen. And obviously what's best for us is to sell beer direct customer, but, you know, we're not saying no, we're not going to sell beer outside of the brewery, um, we haven't significantly expanded the program. We actually, we we have a lot of space issues right now, so it's kind of been put on hold a little bit until, I mean, not, not completely on hold. We still have things that are happening, but it's not been expanding the way we would kind of want it to. So, and Sam, we know that in Gowanus, you're located across from McDonald's. Would you have been successful without McDonald's? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> we're helping that. We're actually helping them, I think. Late nights, right? Probably. Those lines, I'm yeah. sure. Well, this is an awesome. This is, this is called New York City Beer, Beer Week Preview. You know, we've all got something to offer next week. One more time, Kyle, you guys tell us what you're doing for Beer Week. 
Yeah, we've got three events. I've got that cheese and beer Randolph pairing with beer. Transmitter at Randolph Beer. I've also got a Pills Night. Everybody looking to do Pilsner. And then I also got a That's KCBC on New York City Night. Beer Week website. You guys, Staten Island. So Craft House, we're doing Barrel Age Beer Week. This is our second annual. We did it last year. People loved it. Uh, the The... The complication was that is just trying to find various styles, not just stouts. You know, I try to have twelve lines and I try to spread out as many styles as possible. No, you guys are doing a great job. And Sean, when do you think Killsborough will be licensed as a brew pub in Staten Island? So uh, we we expect to be open in the summertime. So definitely check it out. We will be brewing out of the Craft House. So uh, that's sixty Van Duzer Street, uh, Staten Island, New York one zero three zero one. Definitely check us out. We are walking distance from the ferry. So even it's before we open, amazing. Come on. So many things have been happening in New York City, especially the last few years, and Sam, it's great to have you back on, man. Thanks for having me. What's your daughter's name again? Lucy. Lucy. Everybody say hi to Lucy. What's hey, up, Lucy? Lucy? I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who helped to bring this podcast. Oh, wait a minute. The last beer we just poured, you did a collaboration with Suarez. What's that beer, Sam? Oh, yeah. Neighborhood Flock. That was actually something we brewed a, over a year ago. That was a barrel-fermented, um, mixed-fermentation Beer you guys are doing a great job. And you're, going out, Sumac. you're going to Absolutely. Japan. What are you doing in Japan next week? Uh, well, we're actually we're we're going to uh, learn to make sake with Brewery Toragawa, which is on the west coast of Japan, and then uh, we'll see where that goes. But there's going to be hopefully a long term project with them, and then we're going to do a couple tap takeovers in Japan at Craft Heads and Watering Hole. That's amazing, guys. What do you think? Sam Richardson, other half, put New York City on the, on the map for, awesome. for good beer. How about yeah, that? Absolutely. we got some great people here. Thanks for everybody. Thanks to Justin Kennedy, our producer, intern Hillary Fasten, and our engineer, David Tadashore. Thanks for joining me on Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! All right. Woo! All right. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.